So if we just say loosely that actually consciousness is primordial, consciousness is original, and matter arises within consciousness, you could almost say matter acts as a, a medium through which consciousness can be localized into. I would define it as the mental activity of identifying, but from a maybe like a spiritual point of view, that actually happens because ego is the belief I am separate. I am a separate entity from life, from reality, from you, from others. So when we behave in ways that are not kind or compassionate or forgiving, we could say we create sort of karma that we have to continue working at until we learn that lesson. And whether we learn it in this lifetime or not, doesn't matter because we'll just sort of go to the next incarnation and pick up what we left off. And so if you want to talk about like evidence for karma, this is a very much a concept that people who have near-death experiences talk a lot about, right? This idea that when they're in this environment, you know, the afterlife in front of the source or whatever, and they have their life review, that life review is sort of to give them an idea of how they did, sort of like what grade did they get? And you're the one who grades your own test based on the way you feel about it. So people will describe, you know, reviewing their life and they, they're actually seeing and experiencing everything that they did to other people through the other person's perspective, because all is one. So my guest today is Aaron Apke. He's a YouTuber with more than 8 million views on his YouTube channel. And he's uh, very much interested in spirituality. He often talks about the law of one material, which is a book uh, that basically describes all of the concepts and spiritual laws and how reality works. And um, his, his work really resonated with me because a lot of these ideas about collective consciousness, karma, reincarnation, differences between spirituality and religion, like a lot of these things I've been interested in myself for a long time. And uh, a lot of these ideas also resonate with me because of, um, you know, they, they, different teachings talk about them as well. Things like hermetic principles. If you heard about uh, Kabbalion and hermetic principles, you definitely will enjoy this episode. If you are on a spiritual path and want to understand more about these concepts, you'll definitely enjoy this episode. If you are new into spirituality or some of these ideas we're going to talk about, uh, please keep an open mind and, um, you know, maybe you're going to learn something new here. You don't have to believe in everything we say. This is a theory, you know, some of these things are uh, philosophies and theories, ideas. So, you know, just just um, approach it with an open mind and uh, hope you're going to enjoy this episode. So this is Mike Sigola from truthfear.com and this is Truthfear Podcast Episode 9 and my guest today is Aaron Apke. Aaron was raised as a pastor's son in California. He also spent one year working as a full-time worship pastor at church in San Jose until eventually at 23 he felt called to leave his religion to pursue a deeper and more authentic spirituality. 
At 27, Aaron had a dramatic spiritual awakening that changed the course of his life. His passion is to share the path of inner freedom and self-realization with the world. And he does so today via YouTube, social media, meditation classes, workshops, and seminars. He has over 8 million views on his YouTube channel and over 120,000 followers. So Aaron, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, no, I'm glad uh, we're going to have a chat. You know, I started watching your stuff a couple of months ago, and I can see you have a lot of uh, wisdom, knowledge, you know, and also a very interesting story as you started, um, you know, you, your upbringing was in a religious kind of background, and then you moved away from religion. Maybe you can just uh, tell us a little bit about that, you know, how you started and, you know, your awakening process and your journey till now. I'll oftentimes say that Jesus was sort of my gateway drug out of Christianity and into sort of new thought or expanded consciousness. Because I, like you said, I grew up Christian. I was a pastor's kid. I was a really devout Christian. And the Jesus that I read in the Gospels, who I just fell in love with, uh, was, you know, as I got older, I started to see that the, the Christ being preached in church and the Jesus being lived by my Christian friends is just so completely different than the Jesus of the Gospels. Um, I don't see the Jesus of the Gospels telling people to confess him as Lord or uh, that he's going to die for their sins or any of that judgmental type stuff. It was just about loving others, healing the sick, feeding the poor, and knowing our oneness with the Father. And so I became increasingly skeptical of this Jesus, this sort of like westernized, Americanized Jesus. And I got to the point when I was 23, after working at a church that was very fundamentalist, that I just couldn't stand the kind of internal conflict that I was living with. And I just had to make this decision of like, hey, I don't believe in this God you guys talk about. And so I can't continue to work here anymore. So I quit my job and kind of moved back to uh, Oklahoma where I'd gone to college and had some friends and just kind of started my life over from that point and started seeking, you know, just with an open mind and an open heart, like whatever felt like truth to me. And so I, you know, found Eckhart Tolle and some other, you know, kind of common spiritual teachers. And that sort of led me down the path where I am today. Yeah. And um, so, I want to start by just going pretty deep straight away um, because obviously, you know, a lot of people have different definition of God, what is God. And I think um, people like you and me, we, we think differently about God, you know. So a lot of people, when they hear the word God, they straight away have an image of a guy sitting in heaven with a bird punishing people. <laughs> So it's, uh, you know, a lot of people switch off when they just hear that word. But, you know, I think you talk about uh, collective consciousness being God, right? Like maybe you can just give us your definition. Yeah. Yeah, the word God to me has certainly evolved quite a lot. Um, you know, there's really no way to define what God is because what God is is infinite timeless, formless. So we can't really describe it in a positive sense. We can point to it with words 
And um, some of the definitions I'll use as a, a pointer, when I say the word God and someone thinks that I mean, oh, you're talking about an old man in the sky who's angry and in a bad mood. I say, no, I mean God as in formless intelligence, you know, empty of personal identity. Um, in, that, in that sense, you are God. I am God. Everything that exists is an expression of the one formless intelligence, which again is timeless and infinite. And, and everything in the universe is expression of itself. So what would you say is the difference between religion and spirituality? Great question. Um, when I hear the word religion, to me, it means an approach towards knowing the divine, whatever that is to you, that is done through um, fall, uh, obeying or following of rituals and ordinances and rules and laws and things like that. So you could say religion is to know the divine by external means, by the correct behaviors, following the right uh, ritual, religious ceremonies, whatever. And spirituality to me means knowing the divine inwardly or pursuing knowledge of the divine inwardly. So it has to begin then with the acceptance that, all right, I am what I'm seeking. I am that source. It's within me. So that's the only place I'll find it. So I'm going to go inward to look for it and search for it. And so spirituality tends to follow practices that become more inward focused, like meditation, like contemplation, like self-inquiry. Um, so those are the two basic differences to me. Uh, sometimes I like to also classify it as the fundamentalist approach or the mystical approach. And mysticism basically describes knowing God inwardly, whereas fundamentalism, again, is more like religion to know God by external means. Means. Okay. Um, you know, I actually wanted to share one story with you when I know your thoughts about it, because I think it kind of illustrates the difference between religion and spirituality, how religion is often dogmatic you know has all these boundaries and rules that can kind of um you know make things the way they are so for example you know a couple of years ago i was living in london um you know in this big house with my sister her, her boyfriend and um we actually had a new guy who joined us uh we are renting a room to this new guy was very religious and he was actually you know coming from a catholic background and one thing you know he had a lot of issues with uh, anger and you know losing his temper quite often because like he was growing up uh you know his father was beating him up as a child and then he was doing boxing and getting himself in trouble so he had a lot of kind of aggression, but deep inside, he he had a good heart and he really wanted to change himself, you know? So what he told me was that uh, this situation, you know, his issues with his um, anger actually caused him to lose his family. You know, his wife divorced him. 
and he started praying to change himself you know he wanted to do something about it and he, so it's funny because he moves into my house where you know i've been meditating for eight years probably at that time and i felt like oh this is maybe i can help him to get into meditation because you know it's gonna calm him down a little bit it's gonna help him to detach also from you know reacting to situations and also i had another friend who had a very similar story he was also having issues as a child you know his father was beating him up then he became aggressive and then he got into meditation and started you know after a couple of years he completely changed so i felt like okay you, you know this guy is like praying he's getting me into his life who maybe can help him but the funny thing is that he's kind of religious views were so strong that he believed that, you know, anything to do with meditation, tarot cards, like all these things are in the same category. And according to his beliefs, these things are evil. <laughs> so he wouldn't, yeah, he wouldn't even want to listen about this stuff. Even when I tried to show him some scientific, um, you know, um, content about meditation because of what his religion kind of taught him so, so it's kind of funny you know you you have your religious your religion tells you okay pray to to have your problems solved and prayers answered but then when it comes the religion stops you from getting um you know them answered okay I find it funny how religion tends to sort of be like a giant institutionalized ego hmm. and all of, all of the things that religion doesn't want you to do are exactly all the things your own ego doesn't want you to do, such as sitting down and being quiet. You know, the mind doesn't want you to be quiet and be aware. It hmm. wants to be absorbing you into its thoughts all the time. So it's like, you know, how, how funny is it to say that sitting down and being quiet is evil? Like you do that every night for like eight hours, but. <laughs> well, what's your definition of ego? You know, what's your view about ego and how would you define ego? <clears throat> to me, the ego is not anything um, real about you. It's not your sense of self. It's not your personality. It's not your personal expression. Ego is very simply a mental activity of identifying or it is the mental activity of claiming identifying with thoughts feelings actions so it's not your sense of self or personality but to the to the degree you're not aware of this mental activity of identifying it will very much contaminate and distort your personality and sometimes that you know when people say oh your ego is your personality obviously that's just a, a very ignorant un misunderstood definition of it but Really, ego is actually the opposite of that. Hmm. Ego, you could say, is the absence of personality. Personality is sort of, you could say, the unique expression or configuration of this psyche in the way that the universe has made it. You know, the ge genetics my parents passed down to me, their behavioral traits, my conditioning and the way that I express myself. That's all the natural way the universe is sort of expressing in my form or in your form. But ego begins to distort that and actually take it away and make everyone into the same thing. 
So every, every ego is the same exact ego. They're all selfish. They're all prideful. They're all looking out for number one. They're all defensive. So ego actually robs us of our personality and sort of makes us mental automatons in that sense. Yeah, I was actually thinking also about, you know, if everything is uh, one consciousness, right? And ego is this individuality separation because we are kind of in a way we have to be separate to experience everything right we got to have our own personalities our own kind of boundaries i was thinking maybe ego is actually just like this act of separation or the whatever mechanism or something but obviously it can become me mechanical right because you know separation can go into extreme and then it's about me you know being too separate <laughs> you know um a course in miracles defines the ego as the belief in separation and uh so from a biological point of view or a um a psychological point of view i would define it as the mental activity of identifying but from a maybe like a spiritual point of view that actually happens because Ego is the belief I am separate. I am a separate entity from life, from reality, from you, from others. You're over there, I'm over here. Same, we are different, which means now you are a threat to me. Everything is actually a potential threat to me. And so that's actually why the mind identifies. Um, the, I, the act of identifying is the attempt to think that I know or control something. So it gives ego a sense of safety or security or certainty to identify or claim with labels. I am Aaron, this person. I'm this old. I was born on this day. I like these things. I don't like those things. I know who I am. I'm safe. And that's actually stemming from that belief that I'm separate. Therefore, I'm alone and I'm in danger. Yeah. And you also mentioned the Course in Miracles. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Um, I just heard about it a couple of times, but it's it's a book, right? Some like um, gives like the fundamental ideas about spirituality and laws and things like that. Yeah, uh, A Course in Miracles is a very famous sort of classic spiritual text that was um, channeled in the 1970s. And it's basically just a, a book that puts forward a psychosomatic philosophy of how to think and perceive about the world in a way that gives you peace rather than suffering. Hmm. But the, the cool thing about the course is that it, it does that, or it, it sort of lays out its psychosomatic philosophy using the Christian language. Mm -hmm. So it's almost as if Jesus is the one writing it, the way it's spoken, it, it uses biblical language. So for example, it uses the term, the son of God to refer to you and I, like. Everyone is the one son of God, the one consciousness of God. Um, it uses words like uh, the atonement, salvation, forgiveness. So it takes, it's a pretty difficult text to, to break into initially because you have to sort of learn the language of the text. And the course does explain what all the terms actually mean in the sort of the back part of the book. So I find it very fascinating on a multiplicity of levels, but uh, it's without a doubt my personal favorite spiritual text. Okay, cool. Um, 
you know one one of the things you i think you're also very much interested in is this concept of reincarnation right because that's fu fundamental to understanding reality um, and collective mind and all these things um so let's say you know for people who are completely skeptical to this idea what evidence do we have for you know reincarnation for example mm -hmm. yeah this is an interesting question because there's obviously no empirical evidence of reincarnation that we could weigh or measure on a scale or something i mean they, they, sorry to cut you off uh, there are some researchers who uh, look into, for example, people who claim to remember their past lives, and uh, sometimes they give stories, and then they go and research and look if this is true. And also, you know, pe people like Dolores Cannon, for example, uh, did a lot of regression um, therapy. You know, like regressed people into past lives, and a lot of these people sometimes talk about exactly the same things you know for example what happens after you die and things like that so maybe you know that could be um looked at as evidence or even out-of-body experiences you know that you actually have a soul things like that but yeah yeah absolutely there's there's tons of stuff of um experiences people have had um different um you know regressions and and people who've said that oh i remember my past lives and it's actually sort of been verified in different ways i just mean that from a scientific lens a very skeptical scientist would not consider any of that real evidence because it's all based on personal experience mm. like okay you might tell me you had this amazing near-death experience where you floated out of your body you saw all your past lives and to me that's just a, a fantasy you had that means nothing to me right so in a sense, we have to take it a little bit of faith, but this is actually where I, I really get into the concept of the seven densities of consciousness from the law of one, because to me, the, the, the theory of the seven densities of consciousness puts forward the closest thing we could consider real hard scientific evidence of something like reincarnation. And um, the basic idea is that what we call consciousness, you know, currently the scientific model consensus model is that conscious arises out of matter. So mm -hmm. first there's sort of inert, dead, lifeless matter. And somehow that dead, lifeless matter creates conscious awareness. And when that matter dies, the consciousness dies with it. Yeah. And so most people are, are very skeptical of that model for obvious reasons. Number one, there's no proof of that or evidence whatsoever. It's just a total theory and speculation. It's based on a kind of um, reductionist view of reality, uh, almost like overly rationalistic view of things. And it doesn't leave a lot open to, hey, maybe we don't actually know the nature of the universe. Let's not be so quick to assume how this works. So when we get into quantum mechanics, we start seeing things that we go, hmm, that's very different than our current model of, you know, what we call the hard problem of consciousness. Mm. Quantum physics says if a particle is not being observed by a consciousness, it doesn't exist. It's in a superposition. It's, it's awaiting on consciousness to sort of tell it what to do. So in that sense, it almost appears as if consciousness is prior to matter, right? Yeah. 
And there's lots of other quantum physics experiments and, and models that, that back up that idea. So if we just say loosely that actually consciousness is primordial, consciousness is original, and matter arises within consciousness, you could almost say matter acts as a, a medium through which consciousness can be localized into of in human, become these little focal points through our neurology and the electromagnetic energy of the body can sort of absorb consciousness into it so that consciousness can have a, an experience of being a separate finite entity, just like quantum physics, right? If, if that consciousness isn't being absorbed into a particular medium, it's just in a superposition. It's just infinite consciousness. So there's really no experience happening, right? Yeah. And, you know, also like we can see that reality is fractal. You, we see similar patterns on different levels, uh, you know, as, as above, so below. So in a way, for example, when you have a dream, you are creating reality because all these things in your dream are creation of your own consciousness, right? So this could be the same thing on a big scale, you know, on a collective level. Yep. I think the dream, the phenomenon of dreaming actually, to me, is the best evidence that consciousness is prior to matter because it would be ridiculous to say that, oh, all of the dream characters in my dream created the dreamer. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the, the palm tree and the rock and the ocean in my dream of the Bahamas created the consciousness which dreamt it. Yeah. Like we all know that's, that's impossible. The dreamer creates the matter inside the dream. And so why would ordinary reality be any different? What if it's exactly the same as a dream? I mean, to me, that's, if we're talking about a scientific approach, that's as scientific as you can get, is to look at the evidence we, ha we have of reality and use that to point us to our theories of how it might work. We don't have any evidence that says matters prior to consciousness, because we know for a fact that can't possibly be what happens in a dream. Because before I had the dream, I was still here. You know, yesterday I was here before the dream I had last night. So I was prior to that dream. So what if the whole universe is that way? And that's what the law of one, you know, the premise the law of one begins with. The law of one says that there's just one being, one consciousness, whatever you want to call it. And it is dreaming the whole universe. And because this one consciousness, this one infinite creator, we could say, is infinite and eternal, um, it doesn't just live one little individual 75-year lifetime and then poof out of existence, but actually it goes on a really long journey of kind of hopping from incarnation to incarnation up this giant billions of years of long of a scale or a track or journey. And then eventually it, it continues up until it sort of merges back with, its, with itself, with its, with its allness, you could say. And so that's, that process is what we typically call reincarnation. And the reason that the source does that is because, again, being infinite, um, there's a lot that it needs to know about itself. And one short little human 75-year lifetime is like trying to know yourself within the time span of a snap of a finger. Like, how much can I learn about myself in that much time? Impossible. Yeah. So I need, you know, millions of lifetimes to go on a journey to know what I am. 
And so the law of one explains that the way that consciousness does this, just like everything else in the universe, is through evolution. It evolves through um, sort of levels of consciousness. And it explains that there's seven levels or densities of consciousness, which coincide with uh, the seven colors on a color wheel. Hmm. It coincides with the seven musical notes on a scale. So if you know anything about music, let's say you have a piano and you do a C major scale, you hit seven notes. And then when you hit the eighth note, that's actually uh, C major again in a higher octave, one octave up, if that makes sense. So that's actually the way the law of one says the whole universe works is that after the seventh density of consciousness, when it gets to the eighth density, actually the eighth density is the first density of a new universe, sort of a new, a new foundation for a new universe. So the law of one actually refers to the universe as octaves. So it says in this octave of experience, such and such and such, but there's an octave previous to this one, and there's an octave after this one, and for infinity in both directions. <laughs> so like the highest levels, um, what state the consciousness is in? Is it like pure light in seven or eight? Uh, um, yes, it, it becomes light at some point during its journey, but it begins as, as hard matter. So the first density of consciousness is basically the four elements. So the first kind of appearance in the physical universe would be like gas, rock, dust, wind, water, right? Those things condense and form a planet. And planet Earth, as it rotated around the sun for about 2 billion years, was just in that state of the first density of consciousness. It's just the four elements interacting with one another. And as that planet hardens and the, the magma interacts with the oceans and it creates land and all that stuff, eventually, microbial life evolves, single cell life evolves, where now there's a, you could say an organism in, in the planet's uh, atmosphere that has movement and, and it can grow and move around its environment. And at that point is when consciousness evolves to the second density. So the second density of consciousness mm. is basically just growth and movement. You know, so that, that spans everything. Go ahead. You know, because I'm thinking about it, let's say, um, like we talk about plants having consciousness, like maybe ayahuasca or uh, mushrooms, or whatever. But do you think, or that it is like each uh, microbe has its own individualized consciousness, or do you think there is a species or that it has collective mind in this sense? Let's say, you know what I mean? Um, like all the types of mushroom have one mind or each single mushroom has its own unique, same like humans. Do you think this is the way it works? Or? Yeah. So I believe that the way it works is that until consciousness becomes aware of itself, it doesn't have the ability to evolve into a unique individual mm -hmm. expression. It sort of stays in that the one consciousness. And what we know about the one consciousness is that it is still it is silent. It has no um, agenda, biases. It doesn't. It's just in perfect stillness for eternity. Uh, Love one says the word beingness. It's just in a state of pure being, pure existence. So a rock has consciousness, but a much, much, much less dense version or expression of consciousness than you and I have. 
So a rock is just in a state of pure being. There's no, there's no person there in the rock, if that makes sense. But as the evolution continues, you know, second density spans from microbial life all the way up through plants, insects, and even animals. Uh, that's all second, the second density of consciousness. And we see quite a wide spectrum there, right, of expression. A plant has clearly has some kind of consciousness because it can respond to its environment. So a plant is a second density creature versus a rock in the first density, but the plant doesn't have that much more expression than a rock does, hmm. right? It can respond sort of like a thermometer. It can respond to its environment, but there's still really no person there. The plant doesn't really have a will of its own. It's just following the biology of the plant. But by the time we get to uh, human beings, where you know at some point in our evolution, humans developed verbal language, uh, you know, ancient hominids or whatever started naming objects with, you know, guttural noises and what have you. And over thousands of years, that process evolved into language where these hominids can sort of communicate ideas through noises they make with their mouth. Hmm. And that invention of language is what allowed consciousness to become self-aware. So you can almost imagine the mind face and flips in on itself. And that labeling mechanism that said rock, tree, banana, da 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 da, eventually went me. And then I become an object to myself. And that's what we call self awareness. And that's where the third density of consciousness begins. But, like, for example, you know, a lot of people talk about that ayahuasca plant, you know, has that spirit that it's very advanced, you know. So do you think that spirit is different to that self-aware consciousness? Because that would mean that the plant actually has a very advanced consciousness, that it's self-aware. Um, you know, I was thinking more that maybe the way it works is that the consciousness has a level of intelligence, but the body that it occupies is limited, and therefore it cannot express itself to a level that it could for example having a human body you know with it's like a little bit like you have a signal and you have some very old tv set versus brand new hd tv set you know you, same signal but it's gonna you're gonna see completely different results because of the you know the antenna and the, the set that you're using so what do you think about this yeah, we could say that uh, the more evolved a, a brain is, if a brain is like a radio or a transmitter for consciousness, the wider the capacity is for that radio to absorb that frequency. So yes, you know, the 1950s black and white TV with the big antennas is taking in the same signal, but just because of its kind of more primitive technology, it doesn't have a, a very wide capacity for that bandwidth versus like an HD 4K TV today can take in way more data per second and express more of that frequency. And that's very much how our brains work. And so to your point about you know, plant medicines, it's actually a little bit more complicated than that because what, what I believe personally about plant medicines, because you know, I've taken many plant medicines, ayahuasca, psilocybin, uh, plant medicine journeys, and what I can definitely attest to is you're absolutely communicating with some kind of intelligence that is vastly, vastly superior to your human intelligence. 
It just has way more information available to it. And it's coming from a, a much higher dimension of awareness, I think, than we are. And so I don't actually believe that that is the plant itself. What I actually believe is that what we communicate with on plant medicines, like ayahuasca mushrooms, the ones that come from our planet itself, I think we're actually communicating with the consciousness of Mother Gaia herself, of, the, of planet Earth. And in the law of one, they talk about the idea that every planet is what they call a logos. Uh, the sun is a logos. Planets are logos, which are sort of also entities like us, but in a very different way. That's kind of hard for, I think, us to understand, but a much wider, deeper intelligence than we are. And I think that each plant medicine serves as a different um, channel to mm. communicate with Mother Gaia's intelligence or it offers us a different experience of her intelligence. You know, I, I'm not sure if you know this guy, uh, Steinswap Graf, he, he's this Czech researcher who was doing a lot of experiments with LSD. And I remember uh, reading somewhere that a lot of people had actually during LSD trips could see their past lives. And people would describe things like, for example, someone was describing being a star in one of the past lives. Another person would describe being uh, a lizard and, you know, having a female or male lizard next to you. And, you know, you would find attractive some kind of skin color or something like that. So, so they would recall a lot of these details. Um, yeah, so that could be another way, you know, that people actually tune into some of that memories um, through different states of consciousness. Have Have you ever had any, I mean, any regression or any any kind of things to delve into your past? I haven't had any past life stuff. I've done uh, quite a bit of astral projection and out of body experiences, but never. Um... Never any past life stuff. Okay. Um, do you think that can you, because obviously like there's this idea that time only exists here, you know, and once you are out, uh, you can technically tune into different periods, different timelines, uh, things like that, right? Do you think you can actually keep coming back to exactly the same period let's say i don't know let's say you didn't do the plan you know you screw up your plan and you feel like you're incarnating exactly in the same time you know same year do you think you can do that or yeah i guess it would have to be different because um you know you would obviously change a lot of things so you could not get exactly into the same thing but maybe the period in history or something like that. Do you think you can, that's possible? You know, that's an interesting question. I've never actually thought about that or been asked that. Um, from what I can recall from the Law of One material, um, they, they talk a bit about the idea of souls choosing to reincarnate very quickly back onto planet Earth rather than waiting a few hundred years or whatever. Uh, for certain reasons, like if they want to be, if they're looking for certain lessons or, or opportunities to learn lessons, and they see a really great opportunity, like 10 years after their last lifetime, they might just be born again in a new body, 
you know, a year or two after their last one died. Um, and I think because of that, that leads me to believe that you probably can't reincarnate at the same time as another incarnation. And it has to be a little bit more of a linear thing, but that's just my speculation. I can't say for certain. But do you think you, you can go backwards? Um, you know, like, let's say if Jesus was a highly advanced being now, technically he's going backwards, right? In time. Yeah, that's one of the biggest misconceptions about reincarnation. Um, you'll often hear people say, in my next lifetime, I want to be a bird or something. And actually, the truth is the opposite. The fact that you're a human now means you've already been a bird and a, however, millions of other animals or whatever. You've actually also been, at one point, you were rock, water, earth, wind. You were the four elements. And your soul has been on this evolutionary journey. And so the law of one very much says that it's a linear journey but only from this perspective of the, the time-space perspective. From the other side of the coin, everything's happening all at once. There's no, there's no time. Uh, an analogy for that would be like right now in Tokyo, there's people rush, rushing around doing things in New York City, in Abu Dhabi, in Hawaii, right? All over the world, there's all these people living different lifetimes, but it's happening on the same planet at the same time. And if you could travel around, you could go to any one of those locations and each of those locations could represent a different lifetime. So in one lifetime, you were Tokyo, you were Abu Dhabi, you were New York, but really it's all happening simultaneously. You know, another thing that I think it's linked to this concept of reincarnation is karma. And I would like to know your definition of karma. And then I have some questions regarding karma but let's start by just defining what is karma and why it's you know how is it linked to reincarnation yeah karma and reincarnation are very much two sides of the same coin because in the sanskrit definition of the word karma uh, i believe it is literally translated as your own doing and so the idea is that as, as our soul kind of hops from lifetime to lifetime, there has to be a sort of end point or trajectory that the soul is heading towards. That's how evolution works. So something we're adapting to become like, and what that essentially is, is the nature of that one consciousness, which is pure sort of unconditional love, oneness, peace, acceptance, whatever you want to define it as. And so as we live these lifetimes, our souls are kind of learning the lessons of what we call love, kindness, compassion, being a conscious, self-aware person. So our lives bring us all these difficult catalysts, experiences that force us to learn how to be kind, how to be compassionate, forgiving, and all that. And so when we behave in ways that are not kind or compassionate or forgiving, we could say we create sort of karma that we have to continue working at until we learn that lesson. And whether we learn it in this lifetime or not, doesn't matter because we'll just sort of go to the next incarnation and pick up where we left off. And so if you wanna talk about like evidence for karma, this is a very much a concept that people who have near-death experiences talk a lot about, right? This idea that when they're in this environment, you know, the afterlife in front of the source or whatever, and they have their life review, that life review is sort of to give them an idea of how they did, sort of like what grade did they get? 
and you're the one who grades your own test based on the way you feel about it. So people will describe, you know, reviewing their life and they, they're actually seeing and experiencing everything that they did to other people through the other person's perspective because all is one. So they go, oh, wow, when I betrayed that person, I actually was betraying myself and another body and I just didn't know it. And so there's this sort of like deep urge and desire in the, in the heart to say, oh man, I gotta make that right. Please let me go back. I wanna be a kinder person. I want to be a more forgiving person. And this is very much also what people say after psychedelic trips, right? Is there's sort of this like softening that happens where we get a much wider perspective of who we are. We go, oh man, I've been so out of balance. I've been so selfish and greedy and creating suffering and misery for other people. And the idea of karma is that this universe is totally just and fair. So it will absolutely allow you to dish out whatever karma and suffering on others that you want. But the caveat is it's going to come back to you as well. What you give, you will receive. So once your soul begins to learn that idea that, hey, when I'm, when I'm unkind to somebody else, I'm, it's ultimately myself who suffers. It's ultimately me who I'm being unkind to. Then there's just a natural desire in the heart to become kind and loving to people because that's actually what makes me live the happiest, most fulfilling life. So that's kind of how karma works in the process of reincarnation. We could say it's really the driving force that keeps evolution happening. You know, I'm actually thinking about this idea. Can you create indirect karma, let's say, by your choices? So for example, um, I don't know, let's say you're a president and you, start a war or maybe it's not even you who started the war but because of some of your decisions people die but you are not the one killing them right so is it like you're creating similar level of karma if you would actually kill this, these people or even like anything we do for example if i buy a lot of materialistic things let's say buy houses and furniture and all these things and in that process of creating these goods, maybe the forest was destroyed, maybe some animals died, you know. So in a way, through my actions, I'm actually having an impact on, on all these different things. Do you think that is yeah. creating karma? Um, and what kind of, how, how does it work? Another very good question, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm appreciating how well thought out these questions are. From my, from my understanding of the law of one material, in a sense, only intention matters in karma. Mm -hmm. So if truly and sincerely, you know, I just made this decision because I wanted to help people. Well, I don't actually know the future because I'm a being in time and space. I'm, I'm confined to the limitations of time and space. So I can't actually know what's going to happen. And so maybe things go south and it doesn't work out the way I thought and it actually ends up killing a lot of people or whatever. Um, in one sense, my soul doesn't receive that karma if my intention was pure. If there's any degree of selfishness in there, that will become apparent to me. But there's something to be said for balancing love and wisdom. And this is very much part of the journey of the soul's evolution through reincarnation. Um, we talked about the first three densities, right? We have beingness in the first density. We have growth and movement, or we could say awareness in the second density. We have self-awareness in the third density, 
where the belief in separation is born. That's what creates war and strife and calamity and violence. And then as consciousness evolves to the fourth density, that's the density of love and oneness. So through all of our suffering and chaos and, and disorder in third density, we slowly begin to learn, hey, wait a minute, maybe we're not as separate as we thought. Maybe what we do to one another, we ultimately do to ourselves. Maybe we're kind of all in this together, right? That's a fourth density way of thinking. And that's what brings love and compassion into the equation. So in fourth density, the soul learns the lessons of love and unity. And then in fifth density, the soul begins to learn the lessons of wisdom. So there's something to be said of the nature of love. Um, we could say as a bit of um, foolishness or folly, meaning love doesn't think at all. It just gives itself. So the propensity to be a martyr, uh, self-sacrifice, those are the things that love does without thinking anything of itself. But in fifth density of the wisdom density, we begin to see, you know, although that was very virtuous and noble and all the right intentions were there, it may not have been the most effective way to serve others. You know, like martyring myself may not be the best form of service. Maybe there's a wiser approach. So in that same sense, our soul has to learn wisdom in conjunction with love. Those have to be balanced. So somebody who's in a leadership position might have the best intentions and they're just doing whatever they believe is going to help, but they haven't really learned the lessons of wisdom and understanding how life works to, so that they, they end up making decisions that are a bit foolish. And only the intention is what really matters. But in a sense, there is some karma there for you because even if you didn't mean to harm others, you're going to suffer over the fact that you did, which is going to force you to become a more wise, evolved being. Yeah, you know, I, I think about karma in a way because everything that is created has polarity always. You know, this is the basic fundamental thing. So in a way, every, your, every action, whether good or bad, even fault, create polarity towards you right. so the same thing towards you so you know even if your intentions are good but it creates indirect harm technically you would have to relive the same situation it it just can change the form because obviously you know the the kind of like the value is similar but the form can change it's the same way like yes you know you burn a house, you still have the same amount of energy, but the configuration of atom changes. So, you know, it's right. all kind of like the energy is the same, uh, but, you know, the, the way it reacts towards you can be different, you know? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, that's sort of the paradoxical nature of the universe is that there really is no good or bad or right and wrong because everything contains both polarities, like you were saying. So even if I do make a decision with the best of intentions that ends up causing more maybe physical suffering than it does alleviating suffering, even that suffering that is created also serves as a potential catalyst for those beings who are suffering to learn new lessons, to have new growth, to handle that challenge in new ways, so even though suffering isn't fun, it, there's also a grace point to it because suffering is what provides the soul with opportunities to grow, sort of a launching pad to learn a lesson from. Because look, if there is no challenge, if there is no um, 
contrast, then there's no need to learn or evolve, right? So it's kind of what pushes evolution forward in that way. Yeah, I mean, also, like, if you think about it, we need to have duality, we need to have polarities, because the only way to understand anything is if you have it in By its you know, reference to something different. So how, how can you yeah. know what is pleasure without pain or hot exactly. without cold? You know, you only know that this yeah. is hot because you experience something in a different degree or different level, you know? So, so, yes. so that's why we have like, you know, male, female, and uh, polarity in everything in a way that's exactly right and that's kind of a foundational truth in spirituality is that the source the the one consciousness whatever we call it is is what it is it just is perfect love it just is perfect unity but without contrast it, it has no clue what that means or what that is so that's why we have the physical universe and that's why, like you said, the universe has to be dualistic. There has to be polarity in the universe, otherwise we can't know anything. So we could be love, but we could never experience love or have any clue what that means. So we need fear and separation to serve as the mirror to go, oh, that's what love is like. So in that sense, everything is equally divine, right? Yeah, I mean, another thing, um, you know, like if consciousness is infinite, this is a concept that is hard to grasp for people because we are conditioned to see something starts and ends, right? We see life begins and ends. So in a way, we, we are programmed to believe that things have beginning and end. But, you know, if you think about, you cannot have something starting from nothing. There is always something that had to be before that, right? You cannot have a big bang appearing suddenly out of nowhere. There had to be something, right. some kind of action that, uh, you know, made it happen. So in a way, the only thing that makes sense is inf infinite, uh, you know, cycles or infinite evolution. And even if you take right. infinity, you can multiply in infinity, you can divide technically into infinity as well. So that's actually makes sense that, you know, it's a never ending process that never had a beginning and never have end. And, yes. you know, if your, um, if your basis is creativity, like, you know, imagination, like the same way, like we can imagine anything we want in our heads, if that's like the primary force or primary uh, thing that you are capable of doing, wh what is that you want to do with it? You want to see how far you can uh, create things. How what can you actually create? Because that's the only thing you are not able to predict. Because you know you, right. you know you can create all sorts of variations in all sorts of ways. So um, you know then you can create this playground and an experiment with what you're capable of doing, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Absolutely. Each, each one of us is uh, a localization of that one infinite consciousness continuing to expand upon itself. And that can actually be a really beautiful entry point to a mystical experience, sort of going from a rational, a rationalistic experience to a mystical experience through contemplating the nature of infinity. 
So I could ask uh, a rational, skeptical, scientifically minded person, hey, do you believe in the concept of infinity or does infinity exist? And I think most scientifically minded people would say, yeah, from what we can tell, the universe appears to be infinite. And even from a logical point of view, like to your point just now, it doesn't make sense that infinity doesn't exist because if something has a beginning or an end, that means something had to come before it. So we just keep going in circles until we say, yeah, it just has to be infinite then. There is no beginning or end, it's just always been. So if you say, yes, I believe in infinity, then boom, conversation over. If infinity exists, you are infinity experiencing itself. Um, another thing I wanted to talk to you about is this concept of higher self. Um, one thing that I heard from one of your videos is that in Christianity, the Holy Ghost is higher self, right? Which I find mm -hmm. found really interesting because my uh, experiences with my higher self were kind of from uh, practical, spiritual, you know, practice and all these kind of things. But um, yeah, maybe you can tell us a little bit what is higher self and then how can we align with higher self? How can we live the way the higher self wants us to live? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So the higher self from the law of one is a sixth density phenomenon. So we talked about the first five densities, beingness, awareness, self-awareness, love or oneness, Wisdom in the fifth density. Uh, wisdom is also, you could say, light, illumination, to know, to understand. And then in sixth density, that's the density where the soul balances, like I was saying, love and wisdom until they become perfectly balanced. So every action that I take, every decision that I make is a perfect conjunction of love and wisdom. It's not overly on one side or the other. So after the soul achieves that perfect balance, apparently, of love and wisdom, it, the soul then becomes eligible to serve as the higher self, what we call the higher self in spirituality. And that's actually the next phase of your soul's evolution. So it's like after you achieve perfect balance of love and wisdom, how are you going to continue to evolve now? Because you have another density and a half to go before you finish this octave. And the way that the soul continues to evolve is now to use that balance of love and wisdom to turn backwards in time, so to speak, and serve as a guide to all of your previous incarnations. And so when we talk about guide or guiding, we don't mean that you start going, hey, you know, go left, go right. Yeah, don't do that. Yeah, do that. That's not what a higher self does. In fact, that would very much be the opposite of the purpose of the higher self. The higher self wants to honor free will. In fact, the whole universe is an action of free will. So on the positive path, honoring the free will of others is the of primary importance. Um, so the higher self isn't telling you what to do, but they're sort of offering you catalysts or bringing experiences to you, really to, to your past you, previous incarnations, because it's all you, um, giving you opportunities to learn lessons. So, hey, let's bring this person into your life who will teach you a little bit more about compassion. And they're not forcing you to make a decision on how you're going to relate to that person, but just sort of providing you the opportunities. So your higher self is literally you from the future, 
billions and billions of years in the future, uh, turning back in time and sort of as its own form of growth and evolution, uh, providing you more lessons and opportunities to evolve. Hey guys, Mike here. Just a quick note. I'm currently offering one-to-one -one mentoring and coaching through our Patreon page. Um, so as some of you know, I've been interested in personal development for 15 to 17 years. And during this time, I really spent enormous amounts of energy into researching and practicing different techniques. So I'm offering one-to-one -one video calls through Patreon and this is really affordable as well. So, um, you know, some of the things that I can help with are to do with starting an online business, building personal brand, increasing happiness, um, you know, improving mental and physical health, stress reduction, building confidence and self-esteem, finding your passion, discovering your life purpose, uh, spiritual development and going through spiritual awakening and many other things. So check it out. It's patreon.com forward slash true theory. It's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash true theory. And now back to the show. You know, I'm, I'm thinking sometimes maybe as you have your kind of soul plan, you know, before you incarnate, you have specific goals, right? Um, what is that yes. you want to accomplish? Who you're going to meet? All the, maybe some, some soul groups, you know, some of your friends and other people who are going to help you to get to the goal you have. And maybe the higher self is actually trying to create the path for you to accomplish the the plan but obviously you have a free will so you can kind of go one way or the other in a way right not listen to your higher self and um you know I, the hard thing for me is how do you know which things that happen are um you know things that can help you to get to the ultimate you know plan or like the the things that your higher self is helping you with what is the process of like being in the flow? Because in a way, the more you are aligned with your higher self, the easier and things are in a way. So you kind of flow, right? You you don't have so much resistance, but um, you know you keep uh, creating things that help you to get to the outcome that you planned, right? Right. So, yeah, so, actually, I think you asked me a question I didn't answer in the previous one, which was how do we align with the higher self? Yeah. Um, what I would say, what, I, what personally what I do is to see life as, again, a school that you're in where you're here to learn lessons, to evolve, to literally increase the frequency or vibration of your soul. And so if you're looking at everything through the lens of how would my higher self want me to handle this in order to grow, then you have to look at it through the lens of love and wisdom. And love always comes before wisdom. So the first question to ask in any situation, uh, a person betrays you, whatever, 
first question is say, okay, please show me how love would respond and go there first and wait for that answer. And usually it will come in the form of, hey, forgiveness, compassion, right? Understand where they're at and give them forgiveness. And then once you feel like you've seen the loving response, then ask, okay, now how would wisdom respond? What's the wisest possible way to respond? Hmm. And so, for example, we could say like, um, we've all had, you know, experiences where let's say we, we let a friend down or maybe betrayed them or stabbed them in the back. And we kind of like, yeah, screw them. Hope they live a horrible life. You move on with your life and then you become more spiritual and uh, you evolve and you go, oh man, I can't believe I was such a jerk all those years ago to my buddy. Uh, man, I got I to reach out and apologize. So love is propelling you to make that wrong right. So, you know, you call him, you're like, hey man, look, we need to talk, brother. I'm so sorry for what I did. And your intention's pure, but this guy still has a lot of resentment towards you. And he's like, hey man, F you, don't ever call me again and hangs up, right? So you were going the path of love for sure, but you didn't listen to the voice of wisdom probably. Wisdom would say, okay, great, your intention's pure here, but let's think about a wiser way to approach this. Let's take into consideration how your friend might feel and where they're at. And so that might help you to make a different approach in the way you would handle that catalyst. So in that sense, you've now learned love and wisdom from the same catalyst. Whereas a lot of people will just get to the love point and they kind of jump off the diving board because that, that impulse from love is typically so strong. But it's always good to take pause and sort of wait for higher self to show us maybe a wise, the wisest way to approach something. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Um, I guess if you, um, you know, follow these two basic uh, rules, trying to act from a place of love and wisdom, then you're gonna align yourself because um, it's always like the things that we create and manifest and attract come from. Uh, intentions in a way so if you end up in tr trouble yeah. <laughs> that's probably because of your intentions were not pure right so, right most likely so, yeah um, yeah I guess that's a good way to say how to follow your higher self yeah so, right and to your to your other point as well when you talked about how does the higher self help us set up these experiences the law of one explains that what the higher self does is actually pre-incarnative. So literally you and your higher self, sort of like a guidance counselor in school, how you'll sit down with a guidance counselor and they'll say, okay, so you know, you've taken AP chemistry, but you still need uh, AP trig. That's going to get you, um, you know, the scholarship you need for college after senior year. So let's take trig in the fall and they help you set up your schedule, right? Based on what you need to learn. That's kind of exactly what higher self does. They say, okay, you know, your last incarnation, you did, you learned a lot of love. So you're, that's good, but you're really lacking in wisdom still. So let's give you an incarnation that provides you a lot of opportunity for more wisdom. So your higher self will help you set up those sort of like a domino um, effect. They'll, you'll set up the game board of the dominoes and say, this is how we want it to go. But every single lifetime, every incarnation is an experiment. And that's an important point. Nobody knows how it's actually going to turn out because that would infringe on free will. So the higher self and you together set up your incarnation. You put the pieces in place to give you the best opportunity. But the, the law of one explains that a lot of those experiments don't go anywhere near the way 
that the soul intended. And in fact, some of them go quite the opposite way. And the soul actually depolarizes quite a bit and becomes more angry, resentful after that incarnation. And that they kind of took taking a step backwards. They have to go, okay, I need to reevaluate my approach to this. So it's a very complicated process. And you can see how that, that also helps the higher self to evolve and gives them a lot of opportunity for lessons. And apparently until you reach the third density stage where you're self-aware, the higher self just chooses your incarnation for you. So like, okay, you're going to be a bird. Okay. You're going to be a dog. You're going to be a cat. It's just plugging you back into reality until your soul gets to that point where there's self-consciousness present. And then now you can take charge of your own lessons and kind of begin choosing your own path as well. Um, you know, actually, some something that came to my mind now that I heard you saying. I'm not 100% sure exactly what density you're talking about, but you were saying something that, you know, sometimes you decide to incarnate in the lower density because maybe you want to, you know, work on your karma or help, whatever it is. But because mm -hmm. you, you know, when you incarnate here, you forget and uh, you can mess around because of your free will. So instead of doing what you initially planned to do, you might, you know, think like you're going to go a different path because, you know, you're being uh, influenced by, you know, conditioning. You have maybe a lot of gifts and, uh, you know, talents and all these kind of things because you are very evolved. Uh, and uh, you start going completely doing a lot of wrong things. And this is sometimes uh, I'm thinking about maybe this is what I've been doing because whenever I, I try to like go the path of materialism, for example, instead of, um, you know, going the path of spirituality, like I always get situations that, you know, I end up in trouble <laughs> and, um, yeah. and, you know, I, I have all these like, intuitively i i understood a lot of the things since i was uh young you know like i knew how these things work karma you know all these things were just like so obvious to me so later on i started thinking yeah i guess it's because um you know maybe i've been dealing with a lot of this stuff in the past that's why i understand these things easily you know so yeah maybe you can talk about that a little bit because that's pretty interesting yeah, yeah. Yeah, what you touched on there is uh, what's, what they call the, the veil of forgetting in the law of one. Uh, it's a very, really the most important concept of third density, which each one of us listening to this is a third density human being in a third density incarnation. Each one of us has in third density undergone what's called the forgetting. And that is for the purpose of allowing the soul to choose the positive polarity or the negative polarity. And again, the universe is free will oriented. So it wants that to be an organic, authentic choice without infringement. So it doesn't want to like put you in a church and say, hey, choose your religion. And you're like, okay, I guess I'm a Christian, right? It says, no, no, no. Let's just let you go on your own path and choose which polarity you want to choose. But in order to do that, you can't have any memory of your previous lifetimes. So that's why we wake up. Here we are in this human meat suit. I have no clue where I came from, how I got here. I didn't choose this body. I don't, I'm just here. And that's the source giving us 
an opportunity to freely choose which path we resonate with more. And neither one is right or wrong. They're both, as we touched on earlier, a valid expression of the creator. But if I want to choose the positive path, that means my soul is going to have to gravitate towards lessons of love and wisdom and oneness. And if I am just more negatively oriented and that's the path my soul wants, I'm going to find myself choosing lessons of manipulation and control and domination of others. And that's the negative path. So we have to forget where we come from in order for that to happen. Otherwise, it would be a very influenced decision. So to your point just now, a lot of souls who are higher densities, like fourth density through sixth density, might actually choose to reincarnate into a third density planet like ours and undergo that veil of forgetting. And the reason they do that is because it's kind of like a high risk, high reward thing. At that level, fourth through sixth density, there is total memory of all my previous lifetimes. I have access to everything. So I know the full trajectory of what I'm doing and where I'm heading. In third density, I forget all of that. So I'm kind of plopped here. The, the analogy I give is like, let's imagine there's some new virtual reality game and you and I are playing this game where we, you go in, you put the goggles on and there's this new technology that wipes away your memory of everything but the game you're playing. And so basically you get to put yourself in scenarios and see how would I really respond if this thing happened to me? Because, hey, we can all speculate, right? Oh, man, I would tell that guy what's up. I'd get in his face and, yeah, I'd be macho. Well, is that true? Let's find out. We can put you in this virtual reality simulator and this guy tries to bully you and you cower and you back down and you run away. And then you come out of the game and I'm like, Mike, dude, you said you were going to get in that guy's face and stand up for yourself. What happened? And you're like, gosh, I guess I don't know myself like I thought I did. It's kind of like that for our souls, right? The soul gets to really test itself out and see what it's really made of here in third density. And if it rises to the challenge, the soul gets a lot more evolutionary progress out of that than it can get in its native density. But the potential downside is if it responds in the opposite way that it hopes it would respond, it can sort of take a lot of steps backwards. So souls that are looking for a lot of growth will take that risk and come here to third density. And we call that wanderers in the law of one or a more familiar term to most people in spirituality is the term star seed. That's kind of what a star seed is. Yeah. In a way, um, you know, once you forget completely and you have this ability, you know, free will, if you decide um, to mess things up a little bit, create a lot of karma, then, you know, it was in a way you got to repay that right so so right. you know you yeah. kind of if you made this choice that's very risky because you you know you are now now can be influenced by what's going on in your environment and uh yes yeah it's interesting um you know and i think this is a pretty pretty important topic that i wanted to discuss um and obviously like the love one is not the only um, book or you know teaching that talks about moving into some new kind of reality or density or dimension. And in fact, if you look at you know all sorts of cultures like Hopi, for example, they have this um, prophecy stone where you have two outcomes, two timelines in a way. You know, one is ending in disaster; the other one is people live 
into long age. And actually, you know, it seems like there is a lot of different cultures that we're talking about some kind of uh, shift. And even if you, you know, don't believe in anything like that, if you look at the way the world works now and where it's going, you know, everything is speeding up and um, scientists and futurists talk about um, some kind of new state within maybe the next 20 years where we're going to have to merge with machines maybe, you know, because AI is going to become way too uh, complex for us to understand. So the only way for us to understand is to actually upgrade ourselves and merge with it. So, and at the same time, we have, you know, like um, gene manipulation, all these different things. So basically, uh, even if we would go towards this technological path, which we're currently going, we would completely shift into a new reality. You know, we would become something else, not humans anymore. So we are definitely in a time of shift, you know, what kind of shift it's going to be like, we're gonna see but you know to me the way um i'm thinking about it is like you know the, the thing everything is speeding up so even if you look at i don't know like company like tesla within ten one decade can become the biggest car company in the world which normally would take much longer or, you know, in China, they can build a hospital in one week now, or, you know, 10 days or something like that. So, you know, in a way, uh, everything is speeding up. And obviously, if you have this trajectory uh, that is, um, you know, exponential, it has to finally get into some kind of uh, culmination point where new complexity will be formed because nothing can just keep speeding up forever right so in a way like if you think about it like i, I was using this analogy because i used to work um, as a bartender barista a couple of years ago so you know when you are making a coffee like cappuccino for example and you want to create this pattern on top of cappuccino right the last second gonna influence if it's gonna look nice or not, right? So it's almost like something's being formed, but it's still flexible in the moment just before it's finally uh, still, and then you cannot change it anymore, right? So in a way, this is what's going on now. It's like the reality is being formed, but we still have like choices here and there if it's going to go this way or the other and once once you know it's formed it's it's still like clay whatever you know you can still do something with it but it's hardening and hardening and hardening finally you cannot do anything more with it right so you know maybe this is uh what's going on and um I've been also noticing how like intentions and you know things manifestations speeding up as well, which could confirm that that idea and karma starts working much faster, you know. So it's almost like if you think about like let's say if you move to fourth density and you know everything is manifested faster, right? 
this is the process we're going through now. And if we are making wrong decisions, then we're going to end up in a wrong timeline because manifestations is faster, right? So if we're resonating yeah. with negativity, whatever it is, then we're sh shifting towards that version because it manifests quickly. If you know you are on the other side, then you're gonna end up in some positive future. What's what's right. your kind of uh, view about this whole thing of shifting into um, different dimension? I know that uh, I think in Love One they were talking about like the process might take between one hundred to seven hundred years, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the timeline that they give for how long it will take our our collective population to become a fully fourth density civilization. Yeah, so the the I process mean, could start already, right? And um, yeah, it's already started for sure. It will be completed for a minimum of a hundred, maximum of around seven hundred is what they estimate. And one of the topics that they'll or one of the terms they'll often use is uh, probability vortices. The idea is, you know, the universe is just the interplay of two polarities, positive and negative. So every decision you make is essentially inherently positive or negative in orientation, service to others oriented or service to self, uh, oneness oriented or separation oriented. So every decision that you make is opening a new probability vortices that has new possibilities in it, contained within it. So you're kind of jumping from one vortices to the next based on every decision you make. And that's really what karma is, is if I'm, if I'm a positively oriented being and I, I'm wanting to evolve up the path of light and love, then every decision I make that's separation oriented is creating negative polarization. It's pulling me backwards towards the negative polarity, which means I'm going to have to undo that and walk back towards the positive polarity. So that's what really all karma is, is polarization. You're either polarizing positively or negatively. And neither one is right or wrong. It just depends on which direction you want to go. So if you want to be a negative being, then anything you do that's loving or compassionate is, is karma for you, right? Is you have to undo that karma and become more selfish again to go back the other direction. So we see how the universe inherently holds both in juxtaposition perfectly. And it's really just about whatever path you're choosing to go on. So on the path of, of the positive path, forgiveness is essentially what shortens the need for karma, uh, is what alleviates karma. So it's not that I necessarily have to live another lifetime to like, let's say I'm the president, I make a wrong decision that kills millions of people. That doesn't mean I have to go reincarnate as another president who redoes that decision. It just means I have to see the nature of that decision and see where there may have been any separation-oriented consciousness there and forgive myself for that and say, oh, I see now why that was the wrong decision or an unhelpful decision. I forgive myself for that. I was doing the best I could. I forgive the other people involved who I thought betrayed me. I, I, I let everything be as it is. That in and of itself is what dispels mm -hmm. karma and allows your soul to continue progressing. So it really is all intention, right? And it's interesting. What about, um, you know, if you get yourself in some kind of negative contracts, um, you know, about like, how can, let's say, you know, you can get help from 
you know, like witchcraft, for example, right? Someone is doing a spell, mm -hmm. they get what they ask for, but it doesn't happen without the consequences. There is some entity there that is actually doing the work for you. And now they want to, you know, get a repayment of what they helped you with. So if you are in that kind right. of, um, you know, scenario, can you also clear that, um, you know, because in a way it's your karma that now you have to repay because you kind of give your permission and, you know, you, you got something, you got to give something back. You think you can cle clear that with, without, you know, doing uh, repaying? So if you get involved with a negative entity, that's definitely going to be a lot of negative polarity that you're gaining. So that's a lot of negative karma that will take, um, you know, more undoing than the typical kind. So the law of one actually does talk a lot about how to deal with negative entities, how to filter them. Like if, if you feel you're being influenced by one, this is the way you protect yourself. And it's basically just through love, like love is the positive polarity and you could say fear or separation is the negative polarity. So if a, if an entity who's negatively oriented is trying to manipulate you and you become aware of that, what you want to do is be true to your polarity. So you don't want to fight them off and say, Hey, screw off yeah. dude and be angry and hostile. Cause that's, it's negatively polarizing you. Right. If that's what it wants, it wants you to become more like it. Instead, you say, oh, I, I give you love, I give you peace, joy, I wish you well. And in doing that, you're actually going to depolarize that entity. So essentially, they're not going to want to hang around you very long because you're kind of stealing their polarity. So they'll tend to leave you alone. But the more negatively you interact with a negative entity, you know, they're very wise and crafty and they're doing this on purpose to help change your orientation of consciousness. So yeah, you've got to know that you're doing yourself a huge disservice and you've got to sort of get back to the path of love and, and light in that sense. Awesome. All right. So um, where people can find you, like, do you have anything you want to finish with? Um, any new projects coming? Yeah. So I keep all my links very, uh, very easy to find. Everything is just slash Aaron Abke whether it's Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, you, you know, website, you can find me at slash Aaron Abke anywhere. Um, I, I just launched a masterclass back in July, an eight week masterclass, which you can find, you can learn more about at AaronAbke.com slash masterclass. Uh, it's just basically kind of the stuff we were talking about in our interview today, helping you to systematically reprogram the way you think and perceive reality in a way that creates peace and love rather than suffering. And so uh, that's a course that's accessible for anyone. And I've uh, been, been going for a couple months now and it's, it's been a lot of fun so far. All right. Okay. Thank you, Aaron, for joining me today. It's an amazing conversation. Likewise, my friend, it's been a pleasure and I, I appreciate you having me on the show. All right. Thanks guys for checking this uh, Trophy podcast episode until next time.